right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Adam Drovetta on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Derek Johnson, Adam Drovetta. Adam's final week. Have you thought about this being your last week? Are, are you seeing things differently? Yeah, it's it's kind of occurred to me. Um you know, I, uh, I, it's, I, I'm not, it's kind of a, in a way, it's, it's one of those things. I've, I don't know that I've ever left a job that I enjoyed before. And so I, I don't necessarily view this. I, I view that as a good thing in the sense that I'm excited to go, you know, and, and be in Kansas city and be on a show there, but I really enjoy this job and I like working with you. Um, so I, I, it, every other job I've left before i you know, I've, I've, I haven't necessarily hated. I'm just kind of like, well, I can take it or leave it. It's just a job. But I actually really enjoy this job. So that um, it feels weird because mm. I am graduation. There's, there's, there's definitely. Yeah, it's yeah. There's definitely places I'm going to miss. Well, uh, it is the end of the NBA combine this past week. I don't know if the players have that same feeling, um, you know, not that they hated it, but I don't think it's necessarily something they were looking to uh you know, just do forever, but mm-hmm. it is officially over and, you know, players are still going to meet with teams, do their private workouts. This is now the home stretch, though, for decision day for a lot of these players. I mean, we have till June 1st. That gives us a little over a week. It's eight, nine days, something like that. Um, how about this real quick? So this was in The Athletic. It was a, a story about some of the weird things that teams like we hear this all the time in the NFL draft. Um about like weird questions that team will teams. Yeah, there players. was one. This wasn't necessarily a funny example. This was a very sad and awful example. But one team asked this kid if his mom had worked as a prostitute before. Why would you ask? Because so there's some that are, and then there, but then there's some that one's just awful. But then there's some that are more funny. You know, like you know, yeah, it'd be like, how many grapes could you? Yeah, fit exactly. Like, you know they ask stupid questions like that. Like, if you ever put on your shoes backwards, uh, you yeah. Know, it, so a lot of them are just done like to try to see the psychology of you. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's what this is. This wasn't a question. This was I, I. I've read through this like three times. I still don't understand really what they were asking Christian Brown to do. Like I sort of okay. Here it said he could look anywhere in the room. He was told. While everyone from the franchise in the room would stare at him. Then they would time how long Christian Brown would go without blinking. When he did blink, one of the team officials would stop the clock. So Brown looked right at the person who challenged him. The person started blinking repeatedly. Then Brown blinked after like one second. So then the team official said, do you want to go and do it again? Christian Brown was like, yeah, obviously, I want to do it again. So he looked right at him again. He's still just blinking. This time, Brown held firm apparently for nine seconds. The guy asked, do you want to do it again? So again, like eventually, Christian Brown like realized what 
he was trying to do that he was basically just trying to see like the competitive nature mm-hmm. and see if you're you know but what's the end goal there like at what point do you stop because if michael jordan <laughs> is in that room yeah that's he, the thing you're gonna be there for the rest yeah, of the day yeah that's the thing he'll never stop because he'll you never didn't quit. give him a goal of like what what constitutes yeah, a win yeah you didn't say okay make it however many <laughs> like seconds a minute, yeah you just can you and he'll just he's just gonna be, be like, obsessed. can you do better than that yeah he's be like, just yes, gonna I be can. obsessed on building on the number that he <laughs> <Right>. just hit <laughs> And you'll never leave. This never ends. That is bizarre. Right? There's some other ones in here of just, like, guys asking, as you, like I said, like, just weird things. But that that was, like, a, a weird thing happening. Most all of them at one point get asked, have you ever stolen, you know, nothing big, but, like, have you ever stolen, mm-hmm. like, a pack of gum or something? They get asked stuff like that. Yeah. And there's the classic ones, like you said, the funny ones. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. Toledo, Ryan Rollins, guard. He was asked by the Wizards, who would he pick, Batman, Superman, or Spider-Man? Yeah. He said Batman. He said he's the only one without superpowers. He's, you know, most relatable to humans. My favorite, favorite story ever, I think it was the New York Giants. Did you ever hear the story about him when they were, about them when they were in the draft combine interviewing Deion Sanders? No. They brought in this test that was like, I don't know, 10 pages long or something. And they're like, you need to go through this. And it's all these questions, and not of, not all of them are related to football. It's just this long-ass test. And they he goes, excuse me, um, what pick do you guys have? And they go, we're pick number 10. And he goes, I don't have time for this, and I'm not going to be there at pick 10, so I'm leaving. So he just got up and walked <laughs> oh, out. Oh, I love it. And he was picked at fifth. <laughs> yeah, good for him. That's awesome. This guy does not sound like he answered this well. Wake Forest guard Alondis Williams wore a shirt with Pablo Escobar on it <laughs> into an interview with the Golden State Warriors. At least it wasn't Miami. <laughs> a Warriors official asked Williams if he was going to let the Escobar shirt represent him since it was the team's first meeting and how it reflects on him. He had no answer. <laughs> just how hard? Just wear a suit, man. He said somebody told him afterwards they should have been like, well, I'm a killer on the court or something like that. <laughs> Uh, that's, I don't know. Yeah, that's, uh, I don't know. Did you just, imagine the guy that like, kept pressing on it? He's like, so do you like cocaine? Yeah, you big fan? Do you like, uh, you know, making animals not from here be populated in this area? Are you, uh, yeah, yeah. Are you a fan are of you, hippos? Are, yeah, exactly. Are you going to destroy an entire ecosystem <laughs> yeah. with your hippos? Yeah. What the hell? <laughs> the guy's just like sitting there like, what did I do? Just uh, okay. I get now. You know, NBA players now they even they even have a whole th- a bit about it now on Inside the NBA where you know usually Charles Barkley, but they'll make fun of what a guy's wearing as he walks into the arena, and those guys do it for attention. And I get that. But if you're in this situation where you're not on camera, so it's not like you can get attention, just wear a suit. Just wear a boring old suit, matching suit. It's not that hard. No, like. Well, and, and I don't know how these interviews go. Are they going straight from like practicing to go over okay, there? Okay, and or that's something? the thing. If they're going from practice, then I get then fine. That. Then just, but just wear, then wear your workout exactly, clothes. Exactly. Why would you wear a Pablo? And when they ask, why aren't you dre- a- why aren't you dressed up? Why are you wearing crummy workout clothes? Say, well, because I just got yeah. finished with my workout five minutes ago, and this was scheduled now, and I didn't have time to change. What's he? Why? Why do we even have Pablo Escobar shirts to begin with? <laughs> Dude, aren't there, like I mean, killed so many people. Aren't there Fidel Castro shirts too? Uh, probably. Yeah. Wouldn't surprise me, but yeah, I I, there's it's kind of glam. I mean, look, it pop culture glamorizes gangsters and and stuff like that. I mean, it's you know we we kind of um, Al Capone is you know 
these these people yeah, are good people, but <laughs> for, for whatever reason, they're you know they're they're glamorized in in society. There was a whole movie about um, I think it was Irish Danny Green, the the movie Kill the Irishman. You know, it's, they're glamorized. They're not good people. Yeah, no, that's a good point. The antiheroes. You think he just thought that it was like he watched Narcos on Netflix and he thought it was fake and he's like, I yeah, this guy's exactly. A great he's like, man, this is, this is a cool yeah. He thought yeah, yeah he cool thought show. it was like wearing a Joker shirt. <laughs> yeah. he just he's like, this, yeah. yeah, he didn't realize he was a real dude. He just thought he was a fun little fun character on uh, on a TV yeah. show. Good acting and you know all that sort of stuff. Um, so there are three decisions to be had that heavily affect KU with with guys in the NBA draft process. I mean, if you want to say like. I haven't officially seen if Isaiah Mosley has said he's coming back or not, and who knows if if he would even go to KU or if KU would have the scholarship open. If you want to say that, that's fine. But there's three main ones. Christian Brown, Jalen Wilson, Kevin McCuller. And I would almost say two and a half because I, 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 I just – every day that goes by, I don't think there's – we had a little bit of hope when Christian Brown measured a negative wingspan, but now it's just like nothing. Everything he's, else he's he not, did. Everything he's just mm-hmm. – he's acing, so I think he's – He's not coming back. He'll go first round, I think. Okay, well let's let's do that one first. We'll put a percentage on all these guys coming okay. back or leaving, however you want to phrase it. Yeah. Um, for Christian Brown, let's say what's the percentage of him leaving? I, at this point, I would say ninety five percent. Yeah, that was, that's exactly the number I was going to give ninety five. Mm-hmm. And I think probably headed into the combine. I mean, we talked to Michael Swain. He said ninety percent headed in the combine. I was probably a little lower than Michael was. I was I, probably eighty. I was. Yeah, I was probably closer to seventy. Really. Yeah, so I was lower than than both you guys, and and um, because I I just kind of I I didn't I don't know um, but he just keeps shooting up all the and, and and like it's like we always talked about it, you know what's your who's who's making these mock drafts and if it's the good ones it's it's guys who are making mock drafts that have connections with scouts and front office people and so it's not just they're not just depending on their own eye they're hearing from scouts going no we're targeting this guy with pick. 27 or whatever the case may be yeah so they're informed that you know it's not just their own eye i think he'd be good with this team they're actually informed about what teams are eyeing which players and that's what keeps catching my eye it's uh i forget if it's jonathan gavoni or, or mike schmitz one of the guys who um was doing draft express and they now do espn i think it's gavoni uh like every time you see him tweet out something with a video of christian brown or working out this or that He's like talking about how this guy, yeah, he's a first round pick, and there, there's some stuff that he said along the way that I've been like, "Are you sure about that?" Like, that this is one of the best defenders in the draft. And I'm like, well, I mean, Christian Brown is a fine defender. He's a good team defender, good off ball defender, and stuff. Is he one of the best defender? I don't know about that, but nonetheless, um, the fact that every time he seems to be bringing that up, he mentions like could be a first round pick, things like that, tells me that yes, to your point, like you you don't become the draft guy at ESPN without having those connections and yeah. hearing from specific GMs and, and scouts and so forth that that's probably the intel on him. That's probably the read on him. I agree completely. And going back to last week when Kevin McCuller said that if he does come back, he's choosing KU. Uh, we talked about this at the time. It's hard not to see Bill Self being at the combine with Christian Brown playing well in a scrimmage and not being like, okay, I just talked to Christian after the scrimmage. Like, he's, he's for sure gone. So we know we have a scholarship. Kevin, go ahead and pull the trigger. I don't know if that's what happened, but it, it would it would line up. It would make sense if it did. Yeah, that, that could very well be that his he had Gonzaga. Like, he wanted Kansas. Like, Kansas was his number one choice, but he wasn't going to officially pick Kansas over Gonzaga until he knew there would be a, a place available for him. 
and yeah, it's very, very possible. And I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I think that's what happened. We don't have any inside information or anything, but I would agree. That would make a lot of sense that either he heard from Christian or he heard from Bill or maybe even one of the assistant coaches, um, you know, Christian is already, he's not announced it publicly, but he's already told us he's sticking around in the draft. Uh, so, or it could just be intuition. Of like, yeah, that, yeah, that could be, well, you know. yeah. And so I've also wondered if Christian has told him that personally, I, either way, uh, something led Kevin McCuller to say, I don't want to waste KU's time anymore. I don't want to waste Gonzaga's time anymore. I want it to be clear. I'm either going to Kansas or I'm staying in the draft. Mm -hmm. Something led him to decide that. Yeah. So I, I, 95%, um, you could probably argue with me that it's like even 98% or something like I, that. Yeah, I would be. Um, I'm, be not, I'm not, I'm not sure what kind of. You'd have to give me some some pretty long odds for me to bet that he, if you want me to spend any money on betting, he's coming back because I really don't see it. it Ooh, that's a fun game. If somebody gave you 10 to 1 odds. No. 100 to 1. I'd probably bet $1. Yeah, like five bucks <laughs> on it. Uh, okay, so that one's the easy one. Um. Jalen Wilson, where are you at with him? Because I think I think going into this process, I was probably 60 to 70% that he would come back. And then once the G League thing happened, I was 50-50. Once he got bumped up from the G League to the NBA Draft Combine, lo looked good, was hitting shots. But after the NBA Combine happened, and in those scrimmage games, combined to go 6 of 21 from the mm -hmm. floor, 1 of 7 from 3, um was really good at getting rebounds and, and getting assists. I think he had six assists in one of the game. I think I'm back to, I'm, I'm like 60-40 that he comes back. 65-35 maybe. In my mind, I think the only thing that could keep Jalen Wilson or that would make Jalen Wilson decide not to come back is if he believes whatever his draft status is now, he can't change it. You know what I mean? Like if if, if he, for whether he's told this or like whether Wayne he's Selden. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah whether he's been told this or whether he believes it, that it doesn't matter. Another year in college will not improve your draft stock at all. So you either go, you either spend another year in college and don't improve your draft stock, um, or you stick around, probably go undrafted, maybe grab a two-way contract, or go make some money overseas, and, and there's good money to be made playing ball overseas. Um, that, But if, if he's told... He can improve his draft stock. I think he he immediately comes back because I think he goes undrafted this year. Yes. Um. And so I think if he if if he's told by enough scouts, look, you're not going to get drafted this year, but if you work on like Ochai, if you work on this 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 and this, you could jump up into a, a high. I don't think he'll ever jump as high as Ochai, but I think the you know you could jump up into a, a high second round type guy if you work on these five or eight things. Um. Then I think he comes back. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of with you. I, I, I'm probably a 65 to 70. I'm really not sure I even wavered much to when when he performed well at the G League Combine. And the reason was is when it was what you told me, which is like 80 guys between the ones that get invited. It's, there's no set number of guys that get invited from the G League. It's not like every year they take five. It's whatever whoever you know. Enough players impress, whether it's one guy, whether it's eight guys, whatever. Any guys who impress at the G League Combine get to come to the NBA Combine. Um, but already at the NBA Combine, there's already like 72 or 74 guys. So as soon as you told me that, that kind of was like, okay, I'm, 
I I just I really didn't see a scenario with him coming back I, or with him staying, and I really don't. Unless that's the one I'll give you is that he just doesn't believe he believes whatever his draft status is right now. That's 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 the high you know he can't improve upon it. Yeah, I I do think he'll be back, but like I said, that also is not one that if he did end up going to the draft, that I would be like utterly shocked. No, I'm I'm more certain about Brown being gone than I am about Wilson coming back. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. So yeah, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll settle on sixty five percent. Okay, the last one would be Kevin McCuller because at this point we know he essentially is a Jayhawk in theory. If he does go to the NBA, by the way, that would be so funny because he took so much vitriol from Texas Tech fans on social media, which is the most expected thing that you know on social media a mad fan base yeah and by the way i hope this doesn't happen with ku fans but it will like when a kid transfers away for football like we know that's going to happen at some point some kid's going to do well in football transfer away and people are going to get all upset yeah, it's about it even though that ku is doing the same thing in with basketball, basketball yeah. other teams which to texas tech is so silly to me because whether it's been mark adams or chris beard they were literally thriving like for these past five years Part of the reason they've been so good is they constantly add On these transfers. transfers. Yeah. So it's like so stupid. That, and yeah, that's just that's just fans but being yes, fans. Exactly. Nonetheless, um, that would be so funny if he ended up like just going straight to the draft, and then forever it would just say like when you know when he's at the free throw line it pops up college Texas Tech, and that none of this actually mattered. Yeah, none, yeah. he didn't actually play at Kansas. Um, but I would count him a Jayhawk in spirit. If he went on to the NBA, you know, did good things, I think you have to count him as a Jayhawk. If in he spirit does good things, one hundred percent. If he sucks, he's a, yes, he's a red. Exactly. Raider. It's like it's like a R.J. Hampton, right? He yeah. He he went to the uh, NBL in Australia, and but he said he was going to choose Kansas if he would have chose college route. Which, by the way, that's another you know ripple that you could add. If NIL was in place, I bet you he does choose that's Kansas. A, yeah, absolutely. And I don't know. Does that make that nineteen twenty team better? Or does it make it worse because you have two guards with Dotson and Hampton who? I don't know if Hampton was known as being a shooter, but you could argue it'd make him better because you had a first-round pick on the team. So I don't. Anyway, on that, um, I think that I'm almost more confident that Kevin McCuller will be back than Jalen Wilson. I'd agree with that because why go through the the hoop of jumping through? Hey, I'm going to upset all these people <laughs> from because he's. I don't think he's from Lubbock, but he is from Texas. Yeah, and like I'm going to upset all these people and all these fans and and all the fans of the the team that I played on for three years just to not actually go back. I don't know where his heart is as far as NBA or college, but what the fa- you can tell the fact that he took time to whittle his list down to two and then whittle his list down to one from there. Tells me I don't know where his heart is, but it tells me his brain's in college, mm-hmm. and which probably tells me that he's hearing go back to college. Yeah, um, that's just a guess though. I but I, that's kind of that, that I'm reading that that the same way. Why would you? I don't know. Why would you take the time um, to decide? Okay, it's Gonzaga, or Kansas. Okay, now it's Kansas. It just feels like like imagine um, making dinner and then just throwing it away. Yeah, I, mean, like, this, I just wanted it, to take a picture. It, of it. feels like he. You know, like all, like what is the smart thing to do for these players? Because you have the chance to do it. It feels like he's staying there because he gets to hear from he gets to hear definitive analysis from scouts and front office people, and he's he wants that, which is a good thing. All play, you know, any player that has a chance to take advantage of that should. Um, and then from there, you know, I think he chooses to come back to KU. I think right now he's just taking the time to learn what he needs to improve on. Mm-hmm. So I I would probably I'd go like eighty percent. 
Yeah, that's probably right. I'd be very, I'm not quite to the to the level of of how sure I am that Brown's gone, but I'm I'm pretty sure that McCuller is coming to Kansas. Yeah, I would be more surprised if he stayed in the draft than Jalen Wilson at this point, which is funny because like if you look at some big boards, it actually does have Kevin McCuller ranked higher. I know on, on the Athletic headed into Combine Week, Kevin McCuller was ranked 52nd, but he didn't get the invite to the actual draft combine. And and I know Sam Bassini, who does the work at the Athletic for them, has said that he has heard from different people that he continues to be higher on Kevin McCuller than some others. So I, I don't know. But, yeah, I, I would be pretty surprised if he doesn't end up in a KU uniform next year. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. David Lesky of Inside the Crown will join us in about 15 minutes to talk Royals baseball. We are brought to you by Homefield Apparel. Homefield, a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis, has incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs because they dig through the archives of your school to find unique logos, mascots, and moments. The Kansas Collection has 14 pieces of apparel, including T-shirts, hoodies, crewnecks, and they are some of the most comfortable things that you will wear, plus they look really cool. And they just released, well, not just, but after the national championship, they released a national championship shirt. Use the code ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK. That's ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK, all one word, and you'll get 15% off your first order. That's right. Code Rock Chalk Sports Talk, all one word for 15% off with home field apparel on your first order. Half past three, David Lesky will join the show in about 10 minutes from right now. With Adam Trevetta, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We've also got Case of the Mondays for you later on in the four o'clock hour and plenty more to get to on today's show. Uh, daily poll for today, which you can give us a follow and go vote on at RCST1320 on Twitter. If you could guarantee one of these four for the following KU season, so 2022-23 season, which of these would you take? Option one, Christian Brown returns. Option two, Jalen Wilson wins Big 12 Player of the Year. Option three, I guarantee you Grady Dick averages 20 points per game. (laughs) And option four, Zach Clements shoots 45% on threes um, at RCST 1320. I'm between the Grady Dick one and the um, and the the Christian Brown returning. Although Wilson, the thing about Christian Brown returning is I'm just assuming Jalen Wilson will, and I assume a Christian Brown returns, mm-hmm. he'll have a damn good chance to win Big 12 Player of the Year. When was the last KU player to average 20 a game? Was it Mason in 17 when he won player of the year? Or was it Abaji? Did Abaji hit no, 20? No, I got close, but he kind of dipped off at the end. He, had, he ended up 18.8, I want to say. Okay. So, yeah, it would have been Frank. Was, if Frank was like 20.4, Yeah, right? Diedrich was just short. Yeah, I think he was like Did 19. Dotson, no, Dotson was like 18 or 19. Yeah, Frank was like 21. I think Frank's was the most that high? of the Bill Self era. I think it's Frank, Wayne Simeon. Maybe that's it. I mean, that basically that we already think Grady Dick's going to be a one and done. Mm-hmm. Twenty points a game would basically ensure that's a lot. Um, I I would go with Brown returning, but those are four really good options. If yeah, have, I mean, if you have a if you have a big man that that's cannon forty five percent thing from three or from the field from three. Yeah, that's that's big time. Well, like that that's the one that gives the least. Like if Grady Dick averages twenty points per game, he's an all American. You know, you're Absolutely. playing a average averaging twenty a game. If Christian Brown returns, the expectation is that he is going to end up being an All-American. If Jalen Wilson wins Big 12 Player of the Year, 
You're an All-American, right? Um, the Zach Clemens shooting 45% on threes, that doesn't guarantee anything. That could be he averages nine points and five rebounds Yeah, that's per game. the thing. You don't have a... You don't have a number like is he forty five percent shooting six threes right. a game? But you know, there is a part of me that wants to take that because of the fact that having that matchup nightmare at the five in a Bill Self offense that is already tough enough to begin with, and yeah. having a guy who, like, my biggest question right now heading into this season, and I know you would kind of echo this, is who are they going to have that's going to consistently score for them? And part of that is how many three-point shooters do they have? Mm -hmm. And if you have a center shooting 45% on threes, that helps a lot for a team that I think could be really good defensively. I mean, how many times do we see that sign against uh, Texas Tech? The assistant, Some assistant mm -hmm. coach was holding up the sign that says no no cuts, no back doors or whatever Now they're going to have to have you know, no they'll, elevators. Or they'll something. have to know. deal with so much of yeah. that. I mean, you, you will, in a... In a system that loves backdoor motion and and cuts, that will make you that would make a defense so much more vulnerable to those if you if your center is canning threes at a, at a forty five percent clip. I think I would go Christian Brown returning though, because just because I mean the thing is you can argue that okay if Grady Dick averages twenty points per game he's probably impacting it as much as Christian Brown returning would. But then you wouldn't have, like, in the Christian Brown returning aspect, it's you have Christian Brown and Grady Dick. Yeah, exactly. Whereas in the I, other one, it's just Grady I'd, Dick I'd lean great. Christian Brown returning, but those are all really good options. Yeah, that's fun. Okay, uh, we're going to take another time out here. When we come back, we're going to switch gears, talk a little Royals baseball. It is not quite the start that the Royals were hoping for through the first 40 games of the season, 14-26, and 26, to open things up for Kansas City. We're going to talk about it next. I think this might be a little cathartic as well for David Lesky. That on the other side with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to FM 1017 1320 KLWN. KLWN.com The KLWN apps. Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We'll be right back. It is about 20 till 4 here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk and it's time for a weekly interview with David Lesky of Inside the Crown um, I don't know if this will be cathartic for you. I don't know if this will be helpful or if this will make things worse having to talk today about the Royals because we are at the 40-game mark, essentially one quarter of the season. And, you know, that's typically a good measuring point to see where things are at overall. But it's it's been noted by Dayton Moore and, and people in the Royals organization that that is, is a good kind of measuring stick to know, you know, that it's not maybe too early to – uh, I guess, overreact to certain things or, or make changes or whatever it is. So what is the biggest thing to this point in the season, David, that you feel like you nailed in the offseason? And what is the biggest surprise or disappointment for you so far? Well, that I nailed. Um, Toot your horn Hunter a little. Dozier. It's Hunter Dozier. I, you know, I, I, I spent the entire off-season 2020-2021 saying Hunter Dozier is good. And then he comes out and he does me dirty. And it was it was really disappointing. Um, and then, you know what, I doubled down and I feel good about it because he's having a nice season. He's doing a nice job this year. Um, I feel good about that. I feel uh, pretty good. The other big thing is I said that MJ Melendez would be a, would, would start quicker when his big league career started than Bobby Witt does, which has proven to be true also. So I'm on a roll. Um, I've never gotten anything wrong before, so I don't, I can't answer the rest of that question. Uh, no, no, I mean, it, you know, I, I thought, uh, I was, I was really high on Chris Bubich and, and, and I don't, I don't necessarily think that that's 
like the book is closed on that. Obviously, he was sent down to AAA. Um, the Royals seem to have a pretty good handle on what needs to get fixed for him. Um, and, and, and I think <laughs> there's two ways to look at it. It's if they know it, why can't he do it in the majors? Well, I've got an answer for that. Um, but also, um, you know, maybe maybe they don't want him to do it in the spotlight. But I mean, ultimately. I just I don't think they have the person in place who's able to do it because the person they have in place is incompetent. But that's uh, that's another story. So that, that, I think that's where I got the most wrong because I was excited about Bubich, but also I thought his fighter was going to be really good. He hasn't thrown a single one. So I, it, I, I mean, I guess I'm not wrong on that. It hasn't been bad. It's just he hasn't thrown it at all. Well, the Royals right now are sitting with the worst record, or I guess tied for it, in the uh, American League. Amazingly, th- this was this was stunning to me looking at it because you know it's it's one thing to see the record and understand how bad things are going, but then you look up at the standings and you realize that the Royals are only two games better than the Cincinnati Reds. As as bad as that uh-huh. has been for Cincinnati, they're only two games better than them. Do you think the Royals are actually this bad? Like like bottom three, bottom five bad, or, or where do you kind of view them now that we do have a, a quarter of the season in the books? Yeah, it's a tough question because I don't, well, I didn't think they were this bad. Um, but, like, at some point, you you have to just, I mean, I said this about Mondesi. He told you who he was. At some point, you have to believe what the Royals are telling you, right? I mean, they're, they're, I, don't, I don't think they're a 105 loss team, whatever the pace is, it doesn't matter. It's bad. Um, but, you know, I'm feeling... Not so confident about my 79 win prediction. I just, it's, it's going to be tough for them to get there. Um, but, you know, the other thing is, it's not, in, in a weird way, and I tweeted this earlier, there's kind of like some good vibes too, which I, it, it's, it's a very weird time right now because if you look at the lineup, I mean, today's lineup, for example, you have to feel good seeing Bobby Witt Jr., MJ Melendez. Kyle Isbell and Emmanuel Rivera in there, and and they've all had their their moments. Um, Witt has not had a great start, but he's kind of extra base hits. Um, he looks good defensively. He's hitting the ball hard. Melendez has done a nice job. He's had a couple of hitless games. He's, he's, he has so few bats that you know a game or it's a bad game or two dumps his numbers. But if he goes three for five tonight or something, he'll be back up. Um, Rivera's shown some power. Kyle Isbell is just hitting everything hard. So you feel good about that. And then you look at the minors and you say, okay, well, Vinny Pasquantino, I mean, truly should be up right now. Um, I don't know what they're waiting for, but he will be. And, and that you're going to feel good about that in the lineup. It makes Prado as well. And then on the pitching side, Daniel Lynch looks pretty good Friday notwithstanding. Brady Singer looked fantastic in his two starts back. Keller's been good. Granky's been good. So you're like, okay, well, there's a pretty good young core hitters, a decent rotation. I, I don't know how they're so bad. It just doesn't make sense. Um, so it's hard to say if they're this bad, honestly. I mean, right now, if you said, what's your win prediction, I'd probably say somewhere like 72-73, which is a 15 or 16 game improvement over their pace. So, um, obviously, I, don't, I guess I don't think they are that bad, but it's just it's hard to figure it out because they shouldn't be this bad, but they are. I think what's what's the most disappointing there for me is that 
the idea, you know, if the Royals weren't a playoff team, or to your point, you know, if they won 79 games or 75, or I forget what the over-under was, 75 and a half, something like that, and, okay. and you're right yeah. around there, even if you're under it, even if you're at 74, 75, you can get to this idea of, okay, it wasn't a great season, but there were flashes in there. We weren't that far off of being a 500 ball club. All you, all these young guys could improve next season. You make a move or two in, in free agency or via trade, you're right there. It's the idea for me that, the way this has started, I, I know it's not always linear and it's not always as simple to say that, oh, well, you can only improve by this many wins from this year to next year. But, you know, back in what, 2018, 2019, between the way the Royals drafted college or, or I guess closer to being ready pitchers and, and didn't trade guys like Whit Merrifield over the years and, and whoever else, the idea was to be competitive by 2022, 2023. And I, I just wonder if, if they're approaching a territory whereby not looking enough to the future in those past years, they're paying for those sins now with you know some moves where it'd be too far off of a jump to even be contending for 80 wins next year. Yeah, I mean, look, and any concern that anybody has about this team, I believe, is a fair concern. Uh, you know, they're... They're they're bad and they should feel bad. <laughs> but you know, the one thing that, that gives me a little bit of encouragement, and it's it's this exact franchise and what they've done in the past. And it's not not that I have great confidence in them to do it again. It's just that we've seen sometimes the. I mean, it, it goes with the old adage: "It's always darkest before the dawn." Right? It's it's. I, I look back to 2012, and it. That was the our time year, and it was, and they pretended like it was about the All Star game, even though it was never about the All Star game. It's just kind of, kind of crazy. No, they but, pretended it was about the All Star game after they had a ten game losing streak in yes, April. Exactly, that's exactly it. And and they were they were three and fourteen after seventeen games, um, six and sixteen after twenty two. Now it's not forty games, the forty games they were I think sixteen and twenty four. So two games better, but really is it what it doesn't matter at that point? <laughs> it's bad. Um, and and they kind of rebounded the rest of the season. They they actually had a stretch. I feel like if I remember correctly, I think they got to like thirty five and thirty nine. I don't know why that sticks in my head because um, I'm a weirdo, I guess. But it, the young young players started to kind of take over in 2012, and then they they made that decision to, to make the trade for James Shields and Wade Davis. And so a bad start to a season that you thought was going to be better would not be a new thing. For the Royals, um, and and then figuring it out along the way a little bit would also not be a new thing. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen here, but that's where you have to look if you're saying I'm going to be optimistic. But at the same time, you know, at some point, look, we've seen Bobby Wood Jr. struggle. We've we saw Kyle Isbell struggle. We we ha- we saw. I mean, Emmanuel Rivera. I don't think he's a big piece moving forward, but he's I'm making a case for it right now. We saw him struggle a little bit last year. Melendez might be struggling now. Maybe maybe a couple hitless games are him struggling. I don't, I don't know. But you got to start the process now because if you do say, I want to win next year, they have you have to get this out of the way now. Not the, 90% of hitting prospects come up and struggle stuff. You know, we, we talked about it with Bobby Witt. Mike Trout was bad. You know, they're not all Juan Soto. They're not Ronald Acuna Jr. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was an average hitter for two years. Like, you need to get these guys the action now. And so I, I hope they aren't wasting time 
with, I mean, I know they are wasting time with Carlos Santana and, and, and the like. I hope they're not wasting valuable learning at bats from Pasquantino Prado, you know, even Nick Lawson, Michael Massey, whoever, whoever you think is part of the future. But the, like I said, the, the, the upside is that we've seen a terrible start to a season that was supposed to be good, and then they were 10 games 500 the very next year. So that that's that's the hope that I that I'll say I'm I'm not exactly optimistic about it, but that's that's where we've we've seen it work before. I um I, I was kind of thinking immediately about is you know about the the jump from twelve to thirteen, and and Dayton Moore looked at what his young players were doing, and and the team went seventy two and ninety, but he felt he saw something that said to him, it's time to make what what was famously referred to as the trade that hurts. And they give up mm-hmm. Will Myers, and, and, and it worked. There's no arguing that that worked. They they win 86 games the next year, then they go back-to-back pennants, so there's no arguing that that trade worked. But right now they don't have a Will Myers, and I is there really – is it, and, and James Shields wasn't worth – and, and uh, Wade Davis was part of that trade that year, but – James Shields, and particularly that version of Wade Davis, when they tried to make him a starter, they were not worth 14 extra wins, which is what they jumped to from 12 to 13. Is there something to think? One, I guess, is there is are there pieces that could help them add a proven commodity if they want to go that direction? And two, have we seen enough right now to make make us think that even with a proven commodity added via trade, they could jump into a team that's winning 85 games? Um, well, first of all, yeah, there are absolutely pieces. Okay. Um, that, that's a good thing. The farm system has is looking pretty good. I mean, okay. he, we've seen Asa Lacey. You know, he struggled, but he could be a guy they move. Um, and any of the pitchers, honestly, I look, Jackson Kohar is very talented. I think a smart team would look at him and say, we know exactly what to do. We're not going to tell the Royals what to do. And they, maybe the Royals may have figured something out with him. Just for the record, he's looked really good in the last two starts. They reworked his delivery a lot. He's been better. So maybe the Royals were smart enough to figure it out. But, you know, him, Alec Marsh, look, Prado and Pasquantino, it's hard to see the roster with Sal, MJ Melendez, Vinny Pasquantino, and Nick Prado. It's hard to see that come into focus. There might be a guy there who moves. So, yes, that is is a spot that, that they could that they could make a move and, and, and pick up some, some talent somewhere else. But you're right. Those, James Shields wasn't worth 14 wins. <laughs> he, just, he wasn't. It, they have to figure out, they have to get improvement from young players. I mean, Eric Hosmer from 2012 to 2013 was a different player. Mike Moustakis was still not good, but better in 2013. Lorenzo Cain became a solid player. Wasn't the 2015 guy, but he was a solid player. And so, you know, they got they got valuable contributions from their young players stepping up, and so that means they're going to have to see whoever they keep of all those guys get better. Bobby Witt get better. Kyle Isbell, Edward Olivares, whoever it is, doesn't matter. They've got to see improvements internally for it to matter. And and where I'm concerned with this front office is the thing that they go by a lot more than they need to is with hope and not with data <laughs> and and in in their mind i know there's more to it than just this but this guy's been in the majors a year he should take that jump well but why tell me why and and we'll see if he does i i think you could make an argument that in 2012 you look at eric cosmer he had a bad year he needed to reset 
he had to get rid of 2012. I mean, kind of like what Hunter Dozier had to do from last season. Not that they're similar players, but he, he just had to get rid of that. He had to get zero from the board instead of the numbers that he had up there. You know, you could see Lorenzo Kane getting better with pitch recognition, all that stuff. You could see those things happening. But I think the Royals were also kind of hopeful that it would, would happen. Um, and they, they, they're relying, they're going to have to rely on that again. Or, or they can go out and spend $100 million, which I don't see happening. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, we don't, we don't know how John Sherman will operate. Um, we haven't seen much of him as an owner for a lot of reasons. But, um, yeah, they can make that trade. But the guys they have need to get better, too. We're talking with David Lesky of Inside the Crown here on RCST. If you were in charge of having to pick the Royals all-star representative, let's say the all-star game was a quarter through the season instead of a little past the halfway point, who would you choose right now? Oh, boy. Um, ben Intendi, probably. Um, I mean, he's been the best hitter on the team. I don't think there's a pitcher. Teller, I guess, you could argue. He's, he's given a lot of good innings, so... I mean, one of those two guys makes the most sense. Um, that was frustrating, too. They've got some guy. You're like, okay, I can see Ben Benintendi on a team, Keller on the all-star team, Barlow. I mean, he had a bad game yesterday, but he's had a nice season. Um, <laughs> Dozier, Dozier, I mean, I mentioned Dozier. He's got a 770 OPS or something like that in, in, a, in a year where the average OPS is like 680 or whatever. It is. Like, they've got some players having nice seasons, and all of this, but yeah, I think Ben and your Keller are the easy choices. Um, both have been good, and both should probably be traded, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I, I already was just thinking about that when you said that. Ben and is going to be an all-star, and then they'll keep him around at the deadline, and then I don't know what will happen from there. We'll see if they end up resigning him or not. It's just That just seems like the most likely outcome well, there. They, they already the lost on arbitration now. with him. I don't think there's a reason to think they'll sign him long-term. You know, I feel like once they got to that case, I think it was over that they were going to sign him. Because I think before they got there, you could argue, okay, we're going to, they're going to try to give him three and 35 or something like that. But once they get to that case and he made it 8.5, I, I don't, I can't imagine a world where he wouldn't go to free agency. It's his first chance at it. Why wouldn't he? Especially with the season he's having. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't bode well there unless but you know maybe they can get a good return for him at the deadline we will uh, wait and see Brady Singer continuing to look good second start I know ended up not finishing well for the Royals but one of the things you talked about in your latest uh, article with Inside the Crown was you know that one of the big issues for Brady Singer was with runners on base and that was something that he impressed with in that second start since coming back up to the big big so what has been the biggest difference for him in his turnaround and uh is what you're seeing with the change up and and enough there to make you think that this is here to stay well i don't think he's going to be seven shutout innings every time <laughs> but he has been really good and i mean the biggest change to me Two things, command and the changeup, honestly. He's putting the ball where he wants to, generally. And he's got a third pitch that allows... He, the problem that he was having is he couldn't even make a mistake with his slider or fastball, or sinker, I guess he throws, because the hitters knew exactly where the ball was going to be. The changeup moves a different way than the slider. It's a totally different pitch that, even if it's not good, gives them something else to think about. And... Maybe the most encouraging thing I put in the article today, um, he needed an out in the worst way against Max Kepler. In the first inning, he threw him, a cha- he threw him two straight changeups, actually. But the second changeup, 
Kepler just queued it to third. It was a double play. That started him to get out of the inning. That was huge. <laughs> he's, not only is he throwing that pitch, but he's throwing it in big spots where he needs outs. And that, to me, says he's going to stick with it. And I think if he sticks with it, it's going to get better. Because I saw, I mean, the, the changes that we've seen this year were better than the handful we saw last year already. Um, I, I just, I, I think that he's changed his trajectory. It's done a complete 180, honestly. He's, he's, I don't know that he's going to be an ace or a two or even a three, but I think this, this, I feel like he's a big league starter now, and I did not feel like that a month ago. He is David Lesky. Check out all his work inside the crown. But before we let you go, and when I say this, when I say one last thing, I mean it very literally, at least on this show. One last thing with Adam. <laughs> all right, David, 1116 Indiana Street in Lawrence. What does that address mean to you? 1116. Uh, you know what? I, I don't know, but there, there's a couple of burger places that I really like. So maybe one of those. I don't know. That is, that is the location of the KU chapter of Alpha Epsilon Pi. See, I should have known that. Which is, uh, I got excited when I saw that on your LinkedIn page. I was not a member of AE Pi, but I, uh, have, uh, I have several, uh, friends, uh, who were and had a, many a great time at that, uh, at that place. You know, I, I've, I've never been to... Well, actually, I, I take it back. I have been to the KUA Pi House. I just didn't know the address of it. Um, but the funny thing is, a bunch. Of, I have a bunch of friends who are in AUA Pi at KU, and I only saw them at Midwest Regional Conventions. Oh, nice. <laughs> never actually at KU. <laughs> well, that is David Lasky. You can uh, see him hanging around an AUA Pi alumni event. Maybe. <laughs> just maybe. David, appreciate exactly. the time as always, man. Yeah, thanks, guys. All right, that's David Lusky. Check out his work, Inside the Crown. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Monday, it's time to rehash the glory days of the weekend that was right now on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You freaking me out, man. I got a massive headache. Okay, let's just calm down. How oh, does it calm down? Look around you. With Derek Johnson and Adam Gravetta. When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? No. No, man. I'm not having a case of the Mondays today. Hey, next week, certainly no case of the Mondays because we're off. We're off on Monday. I, uh, well, you're, I'm you're off, off I'm no off matter what. My, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I don't know. What should I consider next Monday? I'm off <laughs> yeah. I'm off on this job or I'm off on the next job? Because mm. my last actual show is Friday. You know, come to think of it, you should have told work here that that Monday would be your last, last day. <laughs> so I could still get, to get like for one more, one more paycheck day? possibly. I don't know. I don't think they'd fall for it. Eh, you never Some know. Something's there are things. If that you fall- had said it two weeks ago, they might not have like realized. There are oh, that's there are things there. that fall through the cracks here, but uh, <laughs> giving out money ain't one of them. No, that's true. All right, uh, case of the Mondays because it is your Monday. First up, two O leads. Not every two O lead was lost. They say a lot in. I know they say this in hockey. They say it in soccer. Sports where you know one point or one goal, however you say it. Um, is harder to come by. A 2-0 lead is the most dangerous lead because a 1-0 lead, you're not relaxed. Exactly. It's like you're, they could tie this on the edge of your seat. A 3-0 lead is like we're up 
so much, it doesn't yeah. matter. A 2-0 lead is that happy medium Kinda where it's hovering. like, yeah, we're relaxing. Then they score a goal. Now it's a one-goal game, but you can't switch it back on to yeah. say, you know. So Manchester City, who is down 2-0, this, as they say. Yeah, I have an opinion on this. It's, okay. So go ahead, but um, finish. But I have an opinion on so this. So they were down 2-0, and uh, I should probably add the the, prev, uh, the premise to this or, or whatever, uh, the detail that they had to... They went into the last match of the season. Them and Liverpool were both kind of neck and neck. For Liverpool was, was one point behind. Yes, going to win the Premier League. And so being one point behind, if Man City tied and Liverpool won, then Liverpool wins the Premier yeah. League. Or if if Liverpool or, or if Man City loses and, and Liverpool gets the draw. I don't remember who had the goal differential. But basically, if no, Liverpool... Man City had a pretty high... I think okay. they had like a five-goal So lead Liverpool had to win and hope that Man City did not either, win. Either tied or lost. Yes. And Man City was down 2-0. So it was not looking good. Because again... In like 78 minutes in. Yeah. It's hard to score in soccer. Man City won 3-2. They clinched the Premier League. What is so your not only So not only did Liverpool need... Uh, not only did Man City need to score... You know, two goal, two goals, because a tie wouldn't have been good enough. Because uh, Wolverhampton was actually up, I think one nothing, like seven or eight minutes into their match against Liverpool, and uh, Liverpool came back and won that one, I think three to one. So the Wolves got that one one early goal, and then Liverpool finished them off after that. But so you're what twelve minutes plus stoppage time away from winning the EPL. Um, or and in Man City's case, not winning the EPL, and you know, not you don't need you don't just need to tie it. You need to win the damn thing. And there's no there's no um, this isn't like a playoff where you go to overtime, extra time, and then penalty no. kicks. They play out. They play to ninety minutes, and then they play whatever stoppage time is, and that's it. It's not a playoff where you go to penalty kicks or anything. Um, so had they tied, it would have been over, and Liverpool would have won the thing. My, but what I believe very much, what I'm more and more convinced, I'm by no means an expert on on EPL. Um, I am in a fantasy league, but it's ten bucks, so it, it's not you know, it, it's not it one I really. So it, it's it's not something I pay tons of attention to. I'm usually not. There's a, there's a bigger chance those matches start at like seven a.m. on the weekends. And there's a much bigger chance I'm still awake at that time than awake already. <laughs> but it's tough, um, too, during, like, football season. Yeah, when exactly. When they're on the same days as, like, football games. It's like, I'm going to watch college football or yeah, NFL. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I, I'm more and more convinced as time goes on because the way they set this up is the last day, there are, I think, 30, everybody plays 37 or 38, 38. matches. 38 matches in the EPL. Because you play everyone twice. And the last day, every match is at the exact same time. Mm-hmm. And I believe very much the NFL needs to do that. And the way I think they could do it is they could still get both. They'd have to get rid of. They already don't have Monday night football in the final week of the season. So you get rid of Sunday night football and you play the all the AFC, te- AFC teams play. You make sure that every game at, in week 17, or I guess now week 18 because there's 17 games. So the final week of the year, you make sure every game is a division game. AFC is an... All AFC in one window, all NFC in another window. So you don't. So teams aren't going. Okay, we don't have to start these guys. We can sit because this team lost. You know, we're the three o'clock game, but the team we needed to lose lost the noon game. So we don't actually have to play. Any, I think that would be a, so much fun. 
Yeah, I can see it both ways because I do like that. And I think they've tried to at least make a lot of them at the same time if they happen to both matter. And like, you also wouldn't have a situation if you did that where we had this last year with the Raiders Chargers. Like that would have just yeah. never happened. So I can see both sides of it, but it does make it very cool from that perspective that you are kind of whipping your head around and everything. And I mean, so, Kevin Harlan, Kevin Harlan yeah. would have to call 10 games at <laughs> once. <laughs> I'm calling every game. Um, so anyway, so Man City came back from 2-0. They win the Premier League. Calgary led 2-0 on Friday night over Edmonton. That's a fun. This, that series going getting bonkers. Edmonton won 5-3 to to win game two. Edmonton is This is, is the same insane. series that game one was 9-6. to Edmonton has two of the best players in the NHL. Uh, Connor McDavid, who has been nicknamed Connor McJesus, if that tells you how good of a hockey player he is. Leon Dreisaitl is fantastic well. He, well. I mean, he skates on water because well, ice is That's water. That's true. So. That's a good point. Um, and then also Carolina was up 2-0 in the series on the Rangers, lost game three. Now, unfortunately, uh, like the Mavericks lost game three after being down 2-0. So this this theory of always being down 2-0 the, did not totally Panthers, work out. I think the Panthers are now down 3-0 they as well. They did too, yeah, in, the, the Lightning. NHL, yeah. Lightning, Lightning the could be about to win their third straight Stanley Cup. Just unbelievable. Unreal. Okay, uh, next up. Case of the Mondays for... Things that are not back because saying things that are back is celebrating today because it's the opposite of people wondering, are they not back? I don't know. I've, I've kind of put my own mind in a, in a pretzel here. Nonetheless, people are wondering, is Indiana basketball back? Okay. Because we hear this all the time with Texas football. It's like, I'm trying to think. Like, in football, we hear it about Texas. We hear it about, right now, we're hearing it a little about USC. It's just any, like, yeah, it's just like any blue blood that hasn't been good for a few years or like, not even hasn't been good. Just, like, hasn't been nationally relevant for yep, a few years. Yep, Um So, the, Indiana is, is more than a few years of being nationally relevant. They had those teams in the early aughts. Um, wait, is the aughts the 2010s or 2000s? Aughts is the, the, the years that, that only have single digits. So 2000 through 09. Okay, so no. Um, so yeah, the early 2010s, they had, you know, the years with Cody Zeller. Well, yeah, they but went. they had, I mean, they made, they were, I think they were a four or five, they were a five seed, they made, but they made the final four in 02. Yeah, yeah, in 02. But I'm saying like most recently, yeah. you had the, they, they went Sweet 16 one year, lost to Kentucky, then the next year they were the one seed. But and then lost they, to the Sweet 16 again to Syracuse. Yeah. But that, I mean, again, you get a one seed, you win the Big Ten, like, that's that's being nationally relevant at that point. But outside of that little stretch of two years, you know, there's there's a year or two in there with like Eric Gordon and DJ White where they were on the team and they were pretty good. They haven't really been like nationally relevant over the last two decades. Really, you'd have to go back to that Final Four team. And even that, like you said, took this crazy run. Yeah, they upset Duke in the Sweet 16 as the five. And then um, in the Elite Eight, they played a 10. That 10 seed was Kent State. So they were wearing their home uniforms. Gates. Yeah, they were wearing their home uniforms in the Elite Eight that year. Um, I honestly think Indiana, at this point, needs to look in the mirror and realize who they are. And I don't think they're too good for. Um, um, yeah, now I feel like an idiot because I'm forgetting his name. The kid, the, the guy who took Marquette to a Final Four. Oh, Shock Smart. No. Or, oh, I'm sorry. What? Is uh, that Marquette and, and then came uh, and coach Cream. Cream. Yeah, yeah. They're not better than Tom Cream. They're not above mm. what Tom Crean did at that school. Probably not. And I, they need to understand that. They're not one of these. They're not a blue blood. 
Yeah, I can also, though, get, I, I do agree with you. I, I don't think they're a blue blood. They're a school that had one great coach, now had a lot of uh, issues it, beyond being a coach, ass. right? Yeah. But, like, I, I don't know. Like, I think they're even better than Tom Crean. I Like, that's, I'm trying to think. He was at Indiana for three, four, five, six, seven, eight. He was at Indiana for nine seasons. He only made the tournament four times. Like that's okay, a program well, to me. Maybe that, that well, I think they should be making the it, uh, the so tournament at least, like, the, at least three or four years. Is Indiana not willing to pay though? Not, I'm not maybe. saying coaches, but like, are you are you willing to pay? Like, you can't just say we demand this level of of, ex, of excellence and not give your coach. Yeah, he only won 20 games four times. Okay, so that, no, you're right. That's not as good as I thought. Um. But I do wonder, I mean, if you want to be, and I, I I know we both agree they're not a blue blood, but if you think of you yourself as a blue blood, you need to say to yourself, what is Kansas, Kentucky, Duke, Carolina, what do they spend on assistant coaches? How big is their non-bench staff? You get, every team gets three bench coaches, but then you get a lot of, you know, I think, I mean, how big is KU staff, like 12 guys? Yeah, if I mean, count, when you think if about you director everybody. And, yeah, yeah. And so... You know, how, do you want to invest in that? Uh, you know, do you want to give your coach a certain amount of hours on a private jet so you can recruit in cities that you that that commercial airlines don't fly to? What sort of what do you? I mean, you have to be willing. And I'm not going to say you're a bad or irresponsible um, uh, uh, program if you don't. If you want to say no, we think it's just college sports. We're not willing to throw that money at it. Fine, but then don't expect blue blood level. Uh, um, you know, don't expect that level of of success because you're not going to get it. I know that was a little bit for a while that they weren't investing as much in the facilities, but I think Archie Miller helped kind of turn that around, even though Archie Miller did not turn the program around. But the reason people are saying this, Trace Jackson Davis on Friday night announced that he was withdrawing from the NBA draft, coming back. He's a two-time All-Big Ten player, versatile forward. If you remember, they made the uh, first four this past season, beat Wyoming, then they got walloped by St. They went from, like, up 22 to 19 or something like that to losing by, like, 40 in the game against St. Mary's in the first round. Now they bring back pretty much everyone of note, and um, Mike Woodson seems to be doing good things with recruiting and so forth. You bring back your best player in Trace Jackson Davis. People are wondering, is Indiana back? Um... I would think they should be a top twenty-five team. Yeah, I would. I would get. Yeah, I think you're looking at a team that should be a top four seed in the tournament this next year. But is that enough to answer the question of are they back? It depends on what you think of. I, I you know, what what do you think of them as back? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, are, are they national title contenders? No. Uh-uh. Um, but I think it would be a dis. When when you return what they return, and you look at what they accomplished this past year, I would say it's disappointing if they're not top three ish in the Big Ten and a top four seed in the NCAA tournament. People are saying they could win the Big Ten. I don't know. The Big Ten might be down this next year. I I haven't kept track totally of the conference. I mean, Michigan seems to be the big dog. They seem to have supplanted Izzo and Michigan State mm-hmm. as the big dog in that conference. Johnny Davis is done. By the way, a quick case of the Mondays for the Lakers. They couldn't even get Jawan Howard to interview with them. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that dude almost got fired last year. Yeah. Then he hey, man. came back from the suspension, made the Sweet 16. I now can't, it's not I even can't a thing. fight in the NBA. I'm allowed to fight in, <laughs> in, in handshake lines here. I want to stick around. Well, to be fair, his sons are coming to play there. Yeah. So, like, you get it. But the fact you couldn't even get it. They couldn't. He denied the interview with the Lakers? I don't know. Maybe he oh saw God. in his time, you know, 
Like he he gets it. You know, maybe he's like, I see what an NBA coach, or maybe he just knows what a disaster the Lakers franchise <laughs> currently is. I mean, maybe if uh, he's like, I'm gonna have to punch like if, if Anthony a, Davis to play. You know, like if if, if Greg Popovich decides he's gonna retire, and, and you know, or better, well, you know, of a more well-run, well-established uh, um, NBA franchise with a good reputation calls him, then he maybe takes the call there. But the Lakers are a disaster right now. Yeah, I just thought that was kind of funny. Okay, uh, case of the Monday for the Mavericks bench. Beyond the fact that. You're down 3-0 in the series. The Mavericks bench has been fined three times this postseason. Good lord. For just like, they call it bench decorum. It's not. Were they they, all naked? That's the thing. It makes it sound like they're like, did they like bring a statue into the, like, what do you mean decorum? Um, No, I guess it's just stuff they're doing or like crossing over the line. uh, Stupid stuff like that. It doubles every time they get fined. So I guess the first fine. Wow. Was twenty five five because now it's a hundred. Yeah, so it went to fifty. So they've been fined one hundred seventy five thousand dollars over the course of this. And I wonder how much of that too is Mark Cuban because he's been like at the bench and like I I like Mark Cuban for the record, but he like he'll be like standing over the line or something. So case of the Mondays for them. I um, you know, I'm a believe in de- believer in decorum in some situations and not in others. Um, but clearly the NBA says no, you got to act a certain way. Don't. Mm. Don't no no tomfoolery. None no. of that none of that ballyhoo going on on the on the bench. Case of the Mondays for things staying the same. Yeah. The uh Champions Classic. Which, the more things change, the more they stay the same, you know. Ah. So actually by changing it is staying the same. So yeah. maybe case of the Mondays for changing. I don't know. Hmm. We did Ponder enough that. we did enough cartwheels with the first one. I don't <laughs> yeah. want to keep trying. <laughs> you think of that on your own. Um the Champions Classic, which typically it's it's changed a lot back and forth. It We've has. seen times where it's been the opening night. We've seen times where it's been the, the second week. Yeah. We've seen times where maybe it's not the, the first game, but it's it's the end of that twenty four hour marathon. Which or, they should still do. Yeah. They don't. That's really cool. So we we've seen it all the time. Well, apparently the Champions Classic will take place on November fifteenth in Indianapolis. That according to Jeff Goodman of Stadium. Um and Kansas set to play Duke this next season. That would be cool if it would have been Kentucky and you would have had the the wins thing would have been more um, um, up in the air. But I'll say this. I want to go back. I think yeah, November, it'll be the second week of the season. And it's be, they're moving it this week because uh, there's an ele- we're at midterm elections. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also that said first there's, Tuesday of November. There's a chance this could be more than a one-year switch and could stay the second week of the season. 2000, I want to say the first one in 2011 was the second week of the season, but I could be wrong. 2016, it definitely was, um, because it was an election. Not it was a election. The presidential election was in 2016, and I want to say the Frank Mason shot. Well, it was. It was November. It was Tuesday, November 15th, um, in the one in Madison Square Garden when they beat Duke. So 2018, weirdly, they did not move it. It was when Kansas uh, Quentin Grimes went off and Kansas beat Michigan State. That was the same day as Election Day, and they didn't move it. That the uh, midterm elections were going on then, and they didn't move it that year for whatever reason. Um, and I remember that because I, di- I didn't why I wasn't watching the election results roll in, and I wasn't watching the game, and that's because Coheed and Cambria was at Liberty Hall mm. in uh, here in Lawrence, and I was at my thirtieth, thirty first, I think, Coheed show. Um, How so, many have you been to now? I'm at thirty two right now. 
I've kind of I've kind of fallen off a little bit. More Coheed concerts or Chiefs games that you've attended? That's a tough one. I have to go through the list of Chiefs games. One year we had season. Yeah, season, that'll, so that that'll take a big jump. A chump. Um, I just know my my goal all along was to get um, to get to. Uh, by the time I turned, what was it? I wanted to get to thirty by age thirty. I wanted to get thirty Coheed shows by age thirty, and I had no trouble. I think I hit my thirtieth at like age twenty-eight, and then different thing. I mean, I don't, you know, I can't just take off and, you know, I don't have a Joe job mm. anymore where I can just say sorry, I'm not coming in. I'm going to Tulsa for a Coheed show. I've got a real life, a real job now. So, well, case of the Mondays for a guy who might not have a job for much longer, that would be Dan Snyder. The owner of the Washington uh, Commanders. Uh, NFL owners reportedly may take action to force Dan Snyder to sell the Commanders um, and that they would need at least 24 votes to start the process because it has to be three-fourths. Tell them what you told me about this because you made a really yeah. good point when we were texting about this yesterday. Yeah, so I, I think, um, first of all, I'm not actually expecting him to get voted out because I, I feel like, and, and what I'm about to say is, is a reason why. Dan Snyder is very much the guy that will fight dirty if he has to, right? And if he gets threatened with this idea that all... Because, again, he has to be voted out by his fellow owners. And these owners are, are telling him, I'm, I'm going to vote you out. He is going to retaliate by... Like, like if you think some of the stuff that has come out about Dan Snyder is the only owner in the NFL who probably has some, some stuff that maybe hasn't come out... You want details about what really went on with Bob Kraft? Yeah, that exactly. Massage Stuff parlor, like that. Like, you'll, you'll find out. Exactly. So if he gets voted out, like I could see him going rogue. I, I agree could. completely. Yeah. And, and I guess you could argue if you're the other owners, like why are, should we really be held hostage by that? Um, or if that could, if, does if, happen, we can just attribute it to like everybody doesn't like Dan Snyder. So. Yeah. Or if you're if you're an owner, would you want to you know would you sit back and say okay, well what I did. And look, I don't. I'm not going to bring up a certain owner because I don't want to. But let's just say there is an owner, and Dan Snyder happens to know that this owner had an affair. Mm -hmm. Okay, well that's bad publicly and could hurt that person's personal life and, and marriage and children and all those sorts of things. But it's not bad enough to force them to be Sell out as team, owner. Right. Yeah. And so it's it's possible that whatever dirt he has could damage that person's public reputation could hurt their personal life could hurt their relationships or whatever but wouldn't be bad enough to force them to to give up their team yeah but who knows maybe you know uh, he gets enough owners on his side who he don't says, want to deal with that exactly, hassle anyway exactly so that'll be interesting to me last one for case of the mondays big 10 schedule makers um uh, apparently if you go on to a bunch of these big 10 schools websites like minnesota or you know, all these different schools, you will see if you go to the, the schedule and look to future years, a lot of these schools had already had on there like conference schedules or at least who you were playing or, or whatever it was. And now, apparently, those are gone. And so, you know, there's there's this idea with the new NCAA rule passed where it's you don't have to have divisions anymore of that the schedule could be changing. There's also an idea. Could new teams, could new schools be entering the Big Ten? And that's why... They want to change up the schedule. I think it does have more to do with the divisions, but certainly with as much as we have talked about 
in regards to KU and the Big Ten, it is worth it's worth noting. It's always whenever there's a little bit of smoke, it's always around here. It's worth looking into. Um, multiple, uh, I want to say, I don't want to put a name on it because I don't want to. I, I let me just say this: this report is not coming from me, but I've heard it may be Gary. I'm just going to tell you, it's it's a. It's, I think, Gary Parrish, and I apologize if I'm wrong, but I've heard multiple national college sports writers, college basketball and college football, say that the Big Ten is very interested in USC, which is weird. But Just be a Rose Bowl they, every Yeah, they game. just don't care. Um, yeah, at, at this, this point, point, the geography, geography doesn't yeah. matter. Uh, so there's a reason to think this could be, but I think the more likely scenario is that they're just changing things up regarding divisions. And the second most likely scenario is that they're they're considering expansion. Yep. And again, like I hate the idea that you could have a 14-team conference and you only play eight or nine games, so everybody's schedule is imbalanced. But who knows? Maybe you could do it something where it's like, if you're first, you play the teams who finish second through 10th. If you're second, you play, you know, well, I, I don't know. I don't know how to figure that out. That's yeah, you could, I mean, sort of like the the uh, NFL. Yeah, exactly. So make it so that the bottom tier teams have a better chance yeah. to, to make a bowl game every now and then, and it cycles through. I don't know. But still, I don't love it. He's Adam Bravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. That is your case of the Mondays here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Half past four, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Adam Gravetta. I am Derek Johnson. Got some more KU talk coming up in the five o'clock hour. Uh, I don't know if uh, you watched much of the PGA Championship over the weekend or, or yesterday at all. I watched the same amount I watch of every major, which is about the last three holes. Not the biggest golf fan. I'll watch about the last three holes of the majors. Well... If you watch the last three so actually, of I this one, you saw... I watched the last very ten. Very fun part. I yeah. Watched, yeah, I watched the last ten because I did watch... Or no, the last seven, I'm sorry. Um, I, I watched, did watch the playoff. I watched very briefly on Friday and Saturday. A little bit, but not a ton. Sunday, I watched a good amount, including the... Really, the finish to everything. That, that was so much fun with um, the exciting finish there. And... You just feel so gutted. You feel so awful for Mito Pereira, who, like, to to say headed in, because he was the last group. So you go into the final four. He's at six under. Justin Thomas and Will Zalatoris head into the clubhouse. They're at five under. So you're sitting there going, if he pars this, he wins. If he bogeys, you go to a playoff, right? And you're sitting there going, because I, I actually was, I was like, I, I kind of hope he he bogeys this so we get like a three guy playoff. Never oh, in yeah, your right sure. mind. Never in your right mind are you thinking double. He's not even going to be part of the playoff. Yeah, that's the thing is is you shoot par or better, you're the champion. Mm-hmm. And you and and so that's that's the scenario going into it. Par or better, you're the champion, and you do so poorly, you don't even qualify for the playoff. I mean, that's sad. Um, I don't know. There's no other way to put it. It's just sad. I, I am not one. I'll laugh at certain things in sports, like the famous New York Jets butt fumble. There are certain things I, I just legitimately, I'm not even sure I can laugh at it. I just feel bad. I just, it, it's, I know I, there's no other way to put it. I just feel bad for the guy. Yeah. 
You do, but he's he's a rookie, so you you would hope good yeah, things I mean, are in I, store. Yeah, for him. I don't. Yeah, it's not. But the, yeah, no, it's, it's not impossible end, not but to. I I yeah, I don't. Um, I'm not one that laughs at these sorts, and and I don't want to make it seem like I'm on a pedestal because I have a sense of humor that I'm sure plenty of people will say yeah, that maybe is over the line. So I don't want to make it seem like I'm I'm talking down to people who do find it funny. But just me personally, I'm not. I don't find that sort of stuff funny. I just find it sad. And and I do hope. Yeah, I hope he comes back. I hope this turns into um, one of those things where he he wins a major, if not one of the two majors left this year. Then maybe next year he comes back and wins the PGA Championship, um, and you know then he can look back and and it could be a fun comeback story. But for now, it's just you know he's got to maybe figure out what he did wrong and and use that as motivation for the next one. Because yeah. I mean, look, under most circumstances, you'd be like, oh man, a rookie took third at the PGA Championship. That's fantastic. But the, the, the manner Knowing in which that, it yeah. happened is, is a bummer. Hit the ball into the and, it, and it's not like it was one of those holes where it's like, oh, it's this it's this little island of a yeah, like area that, that you have that to hit it on just surrounded by water. Yeah, yeah that, exactly. Yeah, the, I think, I think 17 at yeah, TPC okay. Sawgrass. Yeah. It's it was just like a little creek that happened to run and he hit it too far in. That that's pretty brutal there. We ended up with a fun I, I like that that format. I don't know about you. I I do appreciate the the sudden death nature. That's exciting, but I like. I think that I think they have it perfect. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, 08, because I, I that that was when Tiger was at his peak. Was like most fans, like not. I don't know if most like a lot of golf fans. That was when I was most interested. Was when Tiger was at his peak, and I would watch a, a much bigger portion of the tournament. Um, and I remember in 08 with the broken leg when he when the U.S. Open. I don't know if the U.S. Open still does this, but in 08. The tiebreaker for the U.S. Open was whoever was tied at the end of four rounds played a full fifth round the following day, the Monday. of, um, And I remember I had to work, but I remember listening to that on the radio. Um, but I, I and so I get, you know, that was something. But I, I think sudden death is exciting in just one hole and then just you keep playing one hole and, and whoever, you know, fight and then. You know, if they're tied after one hole, you played a second, et cetera, et cetera. But I think this is pretty perfect. Three holes. Um, it, it, it's 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 short enough that it's unless the sun's going down, you can get it done on the same day. Uh, but it it's you know it's still it it balances out maybe any bad luck that may that may arise. Yeah, and and you had two really good golfers doing so. Will Zalatoris is kind of. He's almost like a Brook Kep, Brooks Kepka where he he doesn't have all the success like outside of majors but he just he doesn't have the win yet unfortunately but he just continues to rack up these top 10 top 5 results in majors. Justin Thomas has been one of the best golfers for the last 4 or 5 years something like that and this just kind of adds to that. He he's already I believe um won the PGA. I think he did that like 4 or 5 years ago as well and he's yet to yeah. win the other majors so that that has been kind of a you know i guess a quote-unquote knock against him so far but he's just such a good golfer he's going to continue to rack these up which is interesting i've always heard now again this is from people who know more about golf than me but supposedly isn't the pga championship supposedly the hardest to win because it has the fewest exemptions and so the field is actually like you have to either have won the pga championship or um, like the, the the list of exemptions for the PGA Championship is so short 
that it isn't just like, okay, this guy won a tournament 10 years ago, so he's in it. Uh, like, you have to be one of the actual best at the moment of the tournament to get in, I think, is what I understood. That it's actually, it's it's a short, it's a smaller field, but the, everybody who's in it is very, very good. It's how I understand it. I, could, I may sound like an idiot, but that doesn't come from me. It's impossible not to talk about a golf event, especially a big one, when Tiger Woods plays in it and not mention Tiger Woods. Mm-hmm. It was kind of sad watching him. Like, not just because the score wasn't there. I think he shot a 79, which was... It was a par 70 course, so that was nine over par in the last day that he was there because he, he bowed out after that and, and didn't finish up on, on Sunday. He had a hell of a run Friday afternoon, the back nine on Friday yeah, afternoon, just, to make, just to make the cut. And he was just... I, it was. I, I, did you see the video of, of him um, as he was like going to his ball? He's kind of like walking on a down slope near no. the sand trap, and he's just like walking like normal, and... He, you just see his like leg like gives out buckle yeah oh. it's just like it just like his shin it kind of yeah it, i mean look we're seeing um what we're seeing with tiger woods is, is what we're seeing when a when a player doesn't retire qu- early does that make sense yeah um now part of it now maybe it's made worse because he got in such a catastrophic car accident but what in general what we're seeing with with tiger is what happens is what eventually happens with all great athletes. It's just a lot of great athletes get out before this time comes. Mm-hmm. I just it's it's tough because even when he had the back injuries and and missed all the time for some of the off the the course stuff, and he came back. And even when there were times when he would come back from injuries and, and be rusty, it was still like okay, like he's working back to it. It's clearly not prime Tiger. It's not. That was the first time I watched it and was like, oh, this is, like, uncomfortable to watch. Yeah. It's, it's like Peyton Manning in his last exactly. year. Exactly, yeah. It's kind of like a wounded animal. Yeah, it's just sad because we it was he was so, he really, I've said this on this air before. I've tweeted it before. I've said it for a long time. The best way to describe Tiger Woods is he played golf like a linebacker. He was mm-hmm. so aggressive. And he really, truly changed the aggression with which everybody else attacks a golf course. And it was it was amazing to see, um, yeah. and it's you know, but it's over now. Well, I think it's over. Look, who knows? He won that Masters. I think the Masters still seems to be his friendliest course in the way he plays, and um, the way a, a, an injured slash older player can play. Um, so maybe he pulls off another crazy run at the Masters next year. And the and, but for now, um, I think it's safe to say that last Masters that he got is probably it for him. Yeah. I would agree with that. It's just uh, a little sad there, but I know a lot of people here locally went down because it was in Tulsa. So good for them. Yep. Our two uh, of, RCST trivia yeah. championship contenders, which we'll have later. Which this I week. didn't get to go to the PGA Championship. Now, like I just said, I don't really care that much about golf, and I would find it very boring to be at a at a golf tournament for four days. Mm-hmm. But they don't have to know that. So if they <laughs> want to give their prizes to me, uh, because they got to go to this tournament and I didn't, I'd be okay with that. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Five o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. 
last week for Adam. This is your, uh, your, I don't know what the word for like penultimate is second to last. I don't know, like Just fifth last. to last is. Well, this is your fifth to last five o'clock oh, hour. Um, fourth to last, fourth to last. No, no. fifth to last. Okay. Why do they say why? Why is second to last? Are we sure about that? Yeah, because second to last is. But see, that implies so to if, me. If so if there's 30 people in a contest and you finish 29th, you're second to last. See, but that doesn't make sense to me because it's like if you finish second, you're second to first. So it's okay. When you said it like that, it makes more sense. But see, yeah. in my head, when I hear someone say second to last, I think that they're saying like you're two spots behind last. No, you're second to last. You're first to yeah. last. If you're last, you're okay. first to last. Okay, that makes more sense. I'm glad you described that to me. Yeah. That actually does make a lot more sense. Well, I would. I was. I you know, I was a man of words. I majored <laughs> as a creative writing guy. Major. So. And that's what got Adam a degree. Yep. From the University those, of Kansas. Those sorts of eloquent discussions of the language i took a, a development of modern english class mm-hmm. um, my second semester my freshman year that did nothing for my major it was a complete <laughs> waste of money um but i and i knew going in well, i got it, your credit hours I, I did i knew i knew going in it wouldn't apply to my major at all but oh man i loved that class it was a, it was it was a hoot man it was such a it was so much fun and then we had a we had a, a, a shout out to our friend carrie um she um was a big, big linguistics nerd. She actually just got her uh, doctorate in linguistics at, down in Tucson. Mm. But anyway, Carrie, you remember her? She yep. was part of our um, camping group mm-hmm. uh, for the basketball tickets. Anyway, I had, I loved talking to her about because I just I didn't major in linguistics, but I took that class. It was fascinating to me. Yeah, I actually found linguistics very interesting too. I actually almost minored in linguistics, and then what happened? Because in journalism, you had to you had to minor in something, and then what happened was like. Um, the class was like on the opposite end of campus That'll like do that it. I had to take for that semester. It was on the opposite end of campus like 10 minutes after one of my other classes got out. And I was like, I could rush there every day and be sweating my butt off or I could just switch my, you know, or it was What'd take you the class next semester, in? but then it was going to take another semester to graduate at that point and then ended up just doing the boring thing and minoring in communications. Oh, there you go. But I communicate now. I yeah, don't ling- linguize. Linguist. Well, you, I don't. If you say linguize, I don't think you communicate either. <laughs> uh, did you watch the NBA playoffs at all this weekend? Yes. The uh, invited you to go out with me and my buddy know, Saturday to watch the ball, and you were like, "No, we got a wedding." <laughs> Your poor wife had to get there at mm. eight in the damn morning to start getting ready. Was she a bridesmaid? I yes. assume. Yes. Eight in the damn morning for a three o'clock wedding, yeah. and it was um. So the the uh, the husband. What's the word I'm looking for? Not the bride, the groom, the groom. Had a boy. The groom. See again, communication skills really paying off there. Um, the the groom was from Brazil, and so there were a bunch of people who came up, like family and friends from Brazil, and talking boy, Portuguese. Well, yeah, but boy, can Brazilians do the late? Apparently, that's like a thing for them. They, you would fit in perfectly. You should move to Brazil. Um, mm-hmm. they apparently are big believers in like staying up super late. Oh yeah, and then waking up late, but that all the action happens late at night. Yep. I, was, I was talking to you know yeah, the, a, the father I'm... of the bride, and he was saying we went out there, and it was crazy because everything like nothing really gets going till like ten o'clock at night. Yeah, that's right. That'd be perfect. I had a conversation on the tweet box Saturday night because um, I I got for my birthday last week. My parents bought me a pack of uh, my favorite coffee. 
And most people are like, oh, that's a weird birthday present. But to be clear, this ain't cheap coffee. And I love it. Um, and so I, I, I was having my first cup of the new pack of coffee. And um, Scott Chasen said, what the hell are you drinking coffee for at 10 o'clock? <laughs> and actually what he said is, you can drink coffee at night. And I said, I'm 34 years old. I can drink coffee basically whenever <laughs> I want. It's a perk of being an adult. It's like another thing. You can have Lunchables not just for field trips mm. when you're Or going. for lunch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dinnerables. Um, but anyway. Snackables. Um, but that led to the conversation. of yeah, I'm, I'm usually up till about 6 in the morning, 7 a.m. on weekends. I prefer it that way. I'm a bit of a vampire. You'd be perfect for Brazil, like I said. Uh, so nonetheless, the They NBA got big playoffs, bugs down there, though, so maybe not. Not as big as Australia. I think you'll be fine. Okay. The Miami Heat took a 2-1 lead over... The Celtics, I thought when the Celtics won game two that Boston was going to really get the series going in their favor, um, but then he come back out and, and win. Max Struess just continues to be this unbelievable story for them. They The stories they have of developing these guys is crazy, and it makes me really hopeful for, I, I know we haven't really seen Marcus Garrett this year much at all for the Heat and not in the playoffs at all. Uh, but it, it does give me hope that, like, a year or two from now, we're going to see the Heat in the playoffs and, like, Marcus Garrett's going to be coming off the bench playing a pivotal role. That'd be cool. I mean, look, I, I – nobody is – I'm not shy about sharing how what the, how highly I think of Eric Spolster as a, as a basketball coach. I think he's one of the best going. And, yeah, I mean, he's definitely – if you want to develop, Marcus Garrett is in the right place to to develop. Um, so, yeah, that, that could be he's um, – you know, he could be a – three and d guy but he needs a three first we know he can play defense but he needs to shoot a little better i think before he wants to get some legitimate minutes on a world championship contender uh, but if he can do that and or if they can find a place for him they'll find it they'll maximize they'll maximize what you're capable of on, on a miami heat team yeah, that's um, the beauty of it. And, they have, like, the, the Celtics, inverse of him with Duncan Robinson. Yeah, by the way, if you, if I don't you, think it's over, to be clear, because the, no, Cel- no, no, the Celtics no. put a scare. Early on, it looked like the, the Celtics wouldn't even sniff a victory. Mm-hmm. They they put a scare. I think they got to within five Saturday night. They put a scare into Miami, despite Miami being up 25 at one point. Okay, if you could combine, and I know Duncan Robinson has had a, a poor season shooting compared to what he normally does, because normally he's one of the best three-point shooters in the entire NBA, and this year he hit a slump early on. He still ended up 37%, but the previous years he was like over 40. If you could combine two two players who, uh, two bench players, I guess I should say, two players who don't play, who play pretty sparingly or not at all, who are on a playoff teams. If you could combine Duncan Robinson shooting with Marcus Garrett, just everything else that he does, is that an all-star? <laughs> if I told you that Marcus Garrett was, because that's like that's like almost, it's like eight or nine threes a game from Duncan Robinson yeah. at thirty seven to forty percent. Really good defender. If I gave you that good of a shooter with that defense and ability to handle the ball as a secondary ball the handler, definitely go way up. I think that's legitimately an all star. I mean, you're definitely a starter on a really good mm. team, and that's a that's a step toward being an all star is to be a starter on a very 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 good team. I mean, Wiggins is a perfect example. I don't think Wiggins, in spite of, I mean, he's, his production's gone way up and he's been a great signing by the Warriors, but I don't think Wiggins is an all-star if he plays for the Wizards. No, no. I just, uh, hypothetically, I thought that was kind of interesting. But yeah, I, I think the, the Celtics can definitely win this series. It becomes interesting now with kind of the injury game. Marcus Smart is questionable to play tonight. Jimmy Butler goes down with an injury. 
Uh, doesn't sound like Tyler Hero is going to play tonight for the Heat. So both teams are kind of working through it. I I can't help but wonder, like if I'm if I'm the Heat, obviously, like I said, Tyler Hero is already out. Do I just because Jimmy Butler it, it looked kind of worse than it was? Turns out he might be okay, but he's going to have to kind of work through it. Do you just if you're the Heat up two one, knowing that even if you lose Game Four, you still have the the home court advantage of just needing to win your next two home games? Do you just say let's sit him and, and get him rested, or is it still too fine of a line? I think you see how he looks. Um, if if he's really laboring through the first eight minutes or so, then yeah, you pull him. But I think it's worth seeing how he looks. I I almost like. See, but if he he's like it looks good enough to play, but it's only eighty percent. If you know it can get up to ninety percent for Game Five, if he rests, I think I would rest him, knowing that you did win Game Three on the road, and that you would still have home court advantage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a big that that win was big because they took back home court advantage, and now it's a it's a you're a it's a three game series and or a five game series, and the Heat have home court, and that's that's a heck of an advantage to have. Um, so maybe, but I I still. You can put them away tonight, and that's, I mean, not for good, not 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 definitively, but for all intents and purposes, you can put them away tonight. Uh, that's a good point, too, which, it would you know, if you end up winning the series in five, maybe you get a few extra days of rest to the NBA Finals, though the Warriors are up 3-0 on the Mavs, so I don't know how many extra days you would actually have. Um, Do they start the NBA Finals on a certain date no matter what, or is it a matter of a when each team finishes? I would hope it'd be when each team finishes. We don't have so we're to don't, sit yeah, here for like for a week. God knows how long. Andrew Wiggins, who you just brought up there, has been so good in these playoffs. And it is it's 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 crazy on two levels. We've seen him be a scorer. We've seen him average 18, 20 a game, whether it's been on, you know, fine efficiency when some of his years in Minnesota to really good efficiency. Now is kind of a you know, tertiary option of an offense in Golden State and good enough to make an all-star game. But go ahead, because well, I, I had a point to make. Just the the one thing that has always maybe been a little bit left to be desired, meat on the bone for Andrew Wiggins has always been, you're this insane athlete, you have incredible length, like you should be a lockdown defender. If you really want to, you can do it. And we haven't always seen that with Andrew Wiggins, and especially in Minnesota, we didn't really see it at all. Now that he's with Golden State, you put him under the wing of Draymond Green. You put him in a better system to help him be that guy defensively. I I don't know that he was this over the course of the regular season. Like, I'm sure he was a good defender. What he has been in the the playoffs has been, like, one of the best wing defenders in the NBA. And that's remarkable to me that what he is doing for this team, because we, we for so long, I think, wrote off Andrew Wiggins. Not that, again, like he's still a very good basketball player, averaging 20 a game in the NBA. Like that that takes so much skill, so much talent, but that he was just that. And again, I say just. Yeah, yeah. But that he was that he was nothing more than that. And now he is an integral part in a team possibly going to the NBA finals. Yeah, and that leads me to another question mm-hmm. because he's not the first to do this. Um, how many more high draft picks have to leave, have to do okay, just okay in Minnesota and then really bloom somewhere else for us to go, what the hell's going on in Minnesota? I mean, they made the playoffs this year at least, but I know, but that's, they did. And that's, and look, that's, that's worth noting. I defended their celebration after winning the play in game. Um, I think it cuts both ways though, because you can say, 
Like, I'm, I'm trying to think, who else would it be? Because you, you could say, you know, they missed on Jared Culver. They did. But he hasn't gone off with anyone else. Cat obviously hit. Yeah, they, that's the thing. They've done it, too, where they brought guys in. Like, Jared Vanderbilt was, I think, an early second-round pick for the Nuggets. He just wasn't getting playing time. They trade him over there. Now he's, like, a very good defensive rotational center for them. Or they have, like, Michael Beasley, who, again, comes over from the Nuggets. He wasn't really playing much. Comes over, and he, a couple years ago, puts up 15-16 a game. Mm-hmm. I, I think that one just, like, it just, sometimes we get so caught up in the idea that we've seen these players, especially in the NBA, for four or five years, so they are what they are. But in the case of, like, Andrew Wiggins, he's still, after seeing him for four or five years in the NBA, would only be 22, 23 That's years true. old. That's true, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so, like, true. he could have gone on this natural progression on his own. That's a good point. I, I think it has less to do with a, a problem for the Timberwolves. I think it has more to do with just, like, how good the Warriors are. Yeah, and, and and it's such a good system to fit into. It's it's a well run organization from the top to the bottom. And and honestly, the like players, it's a it, the players exactly take huge responsibility. Draymond Green, like dead serious, like Draymond Green is going to end up being a Hall of Famer in, in the basketball. And and you can say what you want, like the basketball Hall of Fame is, mm-hmm. is so much easier to get into. But he's going to end up in that Hall of Fame. The reason why is not because he's this insane athlete, or not because he has this insane length. I mean, he has an incredible wingspan, but he's like six 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 seven playing the center position he's not like overly like tone or, or buff or anything like that he is mainly going to do it off of his basketball IQ he is he's one of the smartest basketball players of our lifetime and having that guy who knows exactly what to do defensively and kind of train you and get you in the right mindset I mean he was the guy that was that was kind of the pep talker for Kevin Durant when he was there yeah, that, that helps so much. We were talking about, we were talking with a, and I don't want to use their name because I don't know if they want me to. This wasn't anything controversial, but we both heard off the air uh, several months ago from a player, and I'll, I'll tell you who it wasn't because this guy comes on regularly. It was not Brandon McAnderson. I'll tell you that. We were talking to somebody who was a player on the Orange Bolt squad for KU football, and it was off the air. But this guy said a huge thing about that team was it was a player-run team. He didn't take away credit to Mangino. I mean, he gave credit to Mangino being a good coach. But he said the difference is when it becomes a play, when when players take responsibility for the program and it becomes a player-run team. And that's not just a football thing, and that's not just a college thing. And you see it in the Warriors. That is a player. Steve Kerr is great, Mm -hmm. but that is a player-run team. And I think that has to do with why I think Wiggins got there. And every t- every time a new player gets there, the, the players will say, look, this is this is what we expect. This is the a level of accountability we hold every we hold each other to. And that's why I think a lot of players do blossom there. And also who may not blossom in other situations. Yeah, it, it makes it so much easier. Um, and so he has been fantastic. And the dunk he had last night. First of all, this is an absolute crime because this was called an offensive foul. You need to go watch this video if you have not already. Here is, on top of it, it was made even better. As always, when Kevin Harlan is on the call, he makes things better. This is Kevin Harlan's call of Andrew Wiggins' posterizing dunk over Luka Doncic yesterday. Brunson defends, snaps it outside to Wiggins. Goes by Bullock! Kevin Harlan is so good. It it really does just add to the video. It couldn't have been anyone else. Um, and then you add the Kansas ties as well. It just makes it kind yeah. of cool. So go watch the video if you have not already. But it is an unbelievable poster. They called it an offensive. And it was not one of those where, like, it could have gone it, either way. Yeah, it was like, what? How it was, was that? That was a terrible call. He was, like, barely on the side of him. 
Yeah, that was a terrible call. Yeah, that was. Um, but that was so much fun to see from Andrew Wiggins. And it reminded me a lot of that one dunk he had against, I want to say it was Kansas State. Yeah. Except that one, the lane kind of cleared. You could, and that was the thing, you could anticipate the ball, mm-hmm. the ball bounced and then the lane cleared and the ball bounced right to Wiggins and you could hear everybody in the, just, the, the fog was getting ready. Yeah. Everybody in the fog was getting ready because you just, you saw the ba- ball bounce right to Wiggins. You saw the lane where it was and you just thought, oh my God, we're going to see something really cool right now. And they did. Yep. That was really cool. And now. We are getting to the point where, you know, wrapping up all this conversation on Andrew Wiggins. We had all this conversation about what if Joel Embiid wins MVP? What if Joel Embiid wins uh, the NBA Finals? Uh, does Obviously, his his accomplishments at KU were not enough to get his jersey retired. And we can go back and forth all day over what should get you retired. Is it all a KU thing? Is it based on your basketball career afterwards? Um, if Andrew Wiggins wins the finals with the Warriors and continues to look like this and play like this, now I would I would find it um, pretty surprising if he went on to win NBA Finals MVP when you have a team that has Steph Curry on the mm-hmm. team because he'll probably win it. Okay, let's say that that happens, though, hypothetically. Andrew Wiggins goes out in the finals, averages 25 and 10 a game and playing great defense on you know either Jimmy Butler or Jason Tatum or something, and he wins finals MVP. Is he getting his jersey retired as soon as in the next three years? No, not in the next three years. Five. Maybe. I still, I mean, maybe even not then because it's a big deal. This is a this is a thing that they don't actually talk about, but it just seems like a pattern. seems like one of the requirements to get your jersey hung with Bill Self is to have kids because <laughs> he wants you to bring back <laughs> yeah. your kids and, and show them how cool it is. And your kids get to see the whole, you know, everybody in Allenfield House cheering for you. So, He's got to have about, you know, he's got to have a toddler at least before they retire his jersey. But but to answer your question, does a performance like that in an NBA Finals MVP get it done? It, you really have to. It can't th- hurt. You have to have that discussion. Can't hurt. It's hard to say, hey, we have a guy who won NBA Finals MVP. He's not in our rafters. It becomes tough. He's Adam Ravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.